On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. We delve into things that folks don't always think about. Exchanging ideas to strengthen Iowa's rural areas. Optimism is leading to an increase in capital spending. And in our business profile, we'll hear about a unique response to supply chain issues. This is the Iowa Business Report for the first weekend of April 2023. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. The Iowa Rural Development Council is the sponsor of the upcoming Iowa Rural Summit to be held in Ames April 10th through the 12th. The event is a unique way for representatives of rural Iowa to gather, exchange ideas, and develop ways to meet their unique challenges. Bill Menner is executive director of the Iowa Rural Development Council. This is number seven. Hard to believe. The first one was a one-day event in November of 2016 in Jefferson, and we wound up with 300 folks showing up. So that was a message to the Rural Development Council board and to our leadership that, huh, maybe we got something here. And so this is number seven. We'll have almost 400 people who come to Ames, and we really try to create an agenda that is broad, that touches on lots of issues or opportunities that small towns are addressing. But we do incent rural communities to bring a team. We think there's strength in numbers. And so we cut a registration deal for any small town that brings a three-person team. You can come as an individual if you want. You'll pay more per capita. But we really think that those three-person teams, in essence, are the planning committee. And they get back from the summit full of these ideas, and they're already working together. In fact, a lot of times we hear that the trip home at the end of the summit is one of the most productive trips they've had. So that's the whole point, is to engage rural leaders, demonstrate to them, show them best practices, successful templates from other towns. And and that's sort of what the whole premise of the summit is, is to celebrate great things that are going on in rural communities and try to pollinate other places to do the same. One of the things that has always struck me about this event, as you noted, You can come by yourself, but there's strength in numbers in having a team from a community. Why is it that that potentially is more successful in the long run as opposed to sending one individual? Because I suppose some people would say, well, geez, three people and they're going to be there multiple days. That's taking an awful lot of time. There's a good reason behind it, though. There is. First off, we do have concurrent breakout sessions on the first day. There are three different series of three breakout sessions. So the good thing about a three-person team, you can divide and conquer. You can send someone to each of the three breakout sessions at three different times during the day. The other thing is, I think sometimes when an individual goes to an event like this, sees great stuff and goes home and tells everybody what he or she saw and heard and learned about, sometimes they wind up spitting into the wind because nobody else is as excited as they are. And they can't sometimes believe all the great things that happened at this rural summit. So we think that having that committee or subcommittee, so to speak, already intact 
and ready to take action can make things happen more quickly and sometimes more smoothly. The other thing I'll say, though, is another great value in addition to learning from these other towns' successes is the networking that goes on, the fact that you're elbow to elbow with other small town leaders, hearing what their experiences have been, commiserating over shared frustrations or celebrating common accomplishments. In fact, I saw a post just today on Facebook. Someone commented on one of our promotional posts and said, I'm really excited to come and see my fellow rural leaders in the same room at the same time. As I look at the cities that are listed, and this is just a look at your breakout sessions and the communities represented. And so, again, these are places with some level of success story to share. I'm seeing everything from Mount Pleasant to Strawberry Point to Atlantic, Brooklyn, Creston, Fairfield, Ottumwa, Butler and Grundy County, Kasuth and Palo Alto counties, not only statewide, but just such a wide variety of examples. Some are communities, some are county coalitions, et cetera. So every model of success, in essence, is represented. I'll point out that I think Sioux County is in the mix, too, because we are intentional about, I mean, we are a statewide organization, and there is innovation going on in every corner of the state, from Kiyosakwa to Rock Rapids. And these are all places doing different things. Some of it's related to health care. Some of it's related to food access. We have a great session on public libraries leading innovation. You know, so it's just, it's a broad palette of topics. And I think that's one of the exciting things about the summit every year is that we delve into things that folks don't always think about. This is the second consecutive year we've done it names. And that was intentional. What we found is that we needed to be a little bit more toward the center part of the state, make it less of a hike for some folks. The one year we did it in Cedar Rapids, we lost some folks from the western quarter of the state. I also think that there's value in us being in Ames because of the great work that Iowa State University does with rural development, with community and economic development through extension. There's some obvious affinity there, too. So it really is a celebration of rural Iowa. We know that many of our partners who are appointees of the governor who serve on the Empower Rural Iowa Task Force will be there. The lieutenant governor who co-chairs Empower will be speaking at lunch again. I think folks are fired up. You have so much talent within the state, but you've also brought in a couple of keynote speakers who are going to play major roles, not only in their presentations, but also as part of some of the breakouts. We always think about what are some topics of import that we can elevate. And we're bringing in Danielle Nirenberg, who leads a group called Food Tank. It's a think tank for food, a national nonprofit. She has won a James Beard Award for her work on food access, you know, talking about how do we create sustainable agricultural systems that help feed people better. She's going to challenge folks. I I think that she's going to say some things that some Iowans are going to find difficult to hear, but she's going to ask, why do we have so many hungry people in a state that's feeding the world? And it's a fair comment. And then what we're going to do is we're going to have a breakout session specifically focused on some local efforts to address food access. And she's going to moderate that. So I'm excited about that. 
And then we're going to close things with a University of Minnesota professor who's actually the grandchild of Danish immigrants who came to America and lived in North Central Iowa. She is someone who I saw speak last fall at the Community Health Conference of Iowa. Her name's Carrie Henning Smith. And she talks about the importance of rural communities coming together to help address issues related to loneliness and isolation. And she borrows the lessons of her Danish grandparents, who I believe were from Hamilton County, and how communities came together to care for people, regardless if they lived out in the country or in town. The community took care of those folks and assured that they weren't lonely, that they weren't isolated, that they had access to food, that they had access to health care. And it's all about communities working together. And ultimately, that gets down to mental health and overall health and wellness. I think that's a great parting message for us is to think more intentionally about rural residents, uh, not just those in town, but you know, what is the extension of your zip code, for example. This is a community coming together of folks that are trying to lift up rural Iowa, not rural Denver, rural Grinnell, rural Powasheet County, rural Bremer County. It's lifting up rural Iowa and trying to figure out ways that we can collectively be successful. So hats off to those folks for coming together and thinking collaboratively. At the end of the day, we don't want rural leaders to have to reinvent the wheel. We want them to take these blueprints of success that other places have developed, tested, and been successful with and, you know, use it someplace else. Bill Minner, Executive Director of the Iowa Rural Development Council. We spoke via Zoom on Monday, March 27th. For more, go online to iowarDC.org. The 7th Iowa Rural Summit will be held in Ames April 10th through the 12th. Still to come, business investment at a record rate. And later, a business profile of a company that adapted to fit transportation needs post-pandemic. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Do me a favor, farmers of Iowa, and honk your horn if you're proud to grow soybeans. Now that I've got your attention, take advantage of the programs, information, and opportunities provided by the Iowa Soybean Association and the Soybean Checkoff. If you market 250 bushels or more of soybeans annually, a bumper crop of benefits is easily accessible. Just make the connection at IASoybeans.com and reap the benefits of belonging. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review the new Iowa Competitive Dashboard data by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. It's the start of the second quarter, and the Iowa Association of Business and Industry has released its new quarterly member survey, examining three main areas, workforce levels, anticipated sales, and capital expenditures. Mike Ralston is president of Iowa ABI and has information on the new data. 81% of those who responded said they plan to make a capital expenditure, and that is an incredible number. 
And as you and I have talked about before, what makes that such an amazing metric is that it's something out of the ordinary. It's not an operational expense. It's not something uh, that's normal part of the business. It means a new multi-million dollar piece of equipment. It means a plant expansion. It means something different that this business would not do unless it felt like the economy was in good shape and there was an opportunity to get a return on this investment. So that's a pretty positive metric and astounding. It's never been that high. Do you have any sense of uh, why folks are so optimistic at this point? One of the things we learned is that folks have some revenue right now that they can put into the business. Their inventory is low. They don't have a bunch of equipment sitting on a block somewhere in a warehouse. So they're making equipment and selling it right away. So they've got the means to do it. On top of all that, there's a feeling that this is a good time to invest in the business, that there's an increase coming. And uh, certainly we hope that's true. But again, boy, uh, these are folks that have been in business for a while. If they didn't feel like it made sense, they wouldn't be doing it. Well, you have to have revenue, and you can derive revenue from a variety of ways. Most of the time, it's from sales, and sales are fairly robust. They are. And in fact, a slight majority of those who responded, right around 50%, though, said that they expect sales to expand in the quarter. Some of that could be seasonal, but at any rate, it's another good number and one we like to see. And certainly on top of everything else, seems to bode well that things are on the upswing. 23% 23% a quarter ago, now it's 51. Whether right. seasonal or not, that that really has got to give people uh, some wind in their sails. Well, it does. Uh, that, And then you, you've got the capital expenditure number. You've got the number uh, related to increased sales. And then the third major question is always about workforce. The number was 60-something percent expect uh, things to remain stable or grow. That's good news for Iowa workers and Iowa communities. And so I don't know what to say except that it's a pretty positive result. Did anything surprise you? Because, again, you've got your finger on the pulse of this. You talk to members all the time. You have a great interconnection with communication, whether it's in print or electronic, obviously working the phones and email. Did any of these numbers jump out to you when your staff compiled them? I will tell you that the capital expenditure number really jumped out. You and I have talked before. Oftentimes, that's a pretty positive number, but 81% is crazy. So that's number one. Number two, I did talk to some folks and I was surprised by some of the responses I got related to to issues that aren't uh, necessarily a part of the survey, but certainly they are a part of business. One of those you and I have talked about for a long time is supply chain. And there was a real dichotomy of folks responding to supply chain questions. A number of folks said, hey, we don't know why, but supply chain issues have gone away and we're grateful. Other folks have said, oh no, it's still terrible on supply chain. But the majority of the folks who responded said that Things aren't perfect. They aren't back to normal, but they're better. Whereas maybe before they couldn't get the materials they needed, they can get them now. Maybe it took uh, 24 months now, they can get them in 12 or 9. That's certainly a big improvement. Cost seems to be coming down. So still issues, but overall some improvement. And that was a little bit of a surprise to me and good news. You can read the full report by going to iowaabi.org. Coming up, more than one way to resolve supply chain issues. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. We're hitting the road in April to share stories from the Iowa Almanac with you in person. Join us in Conrad, Toledo, Earlham, Tabor, Bondurant, Indianola, and Shenandoah. It's all free and open to the public. Get details on where we'll be next by clicking on the Events tab at iowaalmanac.com. That's the Events tab at iowaalmanac.com, and I'll see you there. 
The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, educating, guiding, advising, and coaching Iowa businesses. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. In our business profile segment this week, you'll hear from Mike Kiesling of Pattison Sand Company based in Garnavillo in Clayton County. It's a six-decade family business that found unique ways to adapt to supply chain issues. Pattison Sand Company is a family-owned business that's been in operation since 1950. They started out selling mine storage space for grain, introduced nitrogen fertilizer to the farmers across the Iowa state. 1970, they started producing sand, sand mining operation, as well as aggregate rock. And of course, by 19, mid-1980s, they were actively involved in the frac sanding production business, producing sand for all types of applications. They produce a dairy sand. They produce a sand used in the fracking industry. They also produce sand used in industrial applications. They've grown to over a 700-acre mining operation, employing close to 200 people in Clayton County. There's several things that affect the shipper of rail cars. They either have too many cars or they have too few cars. And about 20% of the time when they have the right number of cars, you know, their business operates well. So what they have to do is manage the excess cars, manage the shortfall of cars, and then also manage what the railroads like to impose is demurrage. is when you have a privately owned car sitting at your customer's site or destination or your site too long for the railroad's scheduling process and they start charging demurrage. The way to control that is to move your car into storage. And typically in the past, a lot of that storage has been several hundred miles away or a thousand miles away. Today with this new concept from Patterson Sand, we can provide storage on site at your facility. In as little as three or four acres of level ground land, we can build skeleton track and provide storage for up to 250 rail cars. So this process is quick and easy. It's proven and uh, offers you a better way to manage your cars by placing in the rail cars where you need them the most at your loading facility. The unique concept about this application is that we use a, a trailer, a truck and a trailer. The trailer is 50 foot long. We also have a trailer that's uh, 60 foot long. So we can accommodate different lengths of rail cars. The skilled drivers that we have that manage this process can back that trailer onto a track area, pull that rail car up onto the trailer with a winch. And that process is seven to 10 minutes total time. So it's easy and quick to accommodate the movement of rail cars to your destination. From there, that car can be moved from storage back into service. It can be moved from service into storage, and it puts the shipper in total control of where that rail car is when he needs it the most. The other interesting aspect of this is that, you know, the cars need to be empty for movement, and it, it just offers a very low-cost method to store and manage your rail fleet. There's a couple of different things to think about. One of them is substantial cost savings. With skeleton track, the application and the, and the management and the building of the track is, is much lower cost than standard conventional interchange track. And the interchange track would be where it actually connects to the railroad. In that case, you need a switch, which is the switch that moves that car from storage onto the main line. You need a locomotive or a car mover. You need some type of a device to physically move that car from storage to rail cars. So the big aspect of it is certainly savings of money. Pat Sensan is involved in the design and the development and the layout of the track. They're involved in the management of the switching schedule. So if your plant requires switching on a daily basis, you know, we can do that, provide a truck for that type of uh, application. If you need switching 
once a week or a few times a month, you know, that can all be built into the process. So it's a very customized process that can help facilitate your needs. We've heard from people in the ag industry. We've talked to people that operate and manage terminals. A terminal could be where they're doing a transload application from rail car to barge or from rail car to truck. And in those cases, they've got switching requirements and storage requirements where they may be holding the loaded car, they may be holding an empty car and need help in managing those those real assets. The other application that we've talked with quite a few people about is really the application at a single shipper business location. And that would just be a shipper like Patterson Sand that has a need to better manage their cars. So they're on a class one railroad or on a short line railroad, and they need to keep their rail cars close to where they load the equipment to help better manage the demurrage and help to manage the timing involved in getting the car moved from storage to the plant. That's another big aspect to think about. So if you're at a plant and you have to store your car at a remote location three or four or 500 miles away, the time involved to position that car to move to storage and then return that car back to plant can be weeks or months to get that car repositioned. In this case, with the Patterson Sand process, you've got your car just right nearby your plant facility, a mile or two away or right on property. So the physical movement of the car is more timely and and quicker to transfer that location from storage into your plant for loading. Mike Kiesling of Patterson Sand Company. They're based in Garnavillo, but also have Iowa locations in Weota, Atlantic, Dexter, Cylinder, and Spencer. Online at pattisonsand.com. Thanks to Tim Harwood of IBR affiliate KXEL for sharing that interview with us. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, providing business solutions and support to small to medium-sized businesses. Let's work together. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.